Thanks, James. Take it away. All right. All right, now I'm nervous. First uh, John 2:18 through 28. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to First John 2:18 through 28. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Let's pray. Father, we praise you that we can come together as your people who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Lord, we have come here to worship you and to encourage one another and to bring glory to your name. And as I Teach and preach your word. Lord, I am aware of my need for you. Lord, I ask that you would fill me with your spirit. Give me confidence in you. I pray that your word would pierce through the darkness this morning. Lord, make us a people that have ears to hear, that we would not only hear your word, but that we would do what it says. Because when we do that, it brings glory to you, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, this morning we're going to be talking about deceivers and how the church is able to identify them and to stand against them. And so I thought that, you know, you guys, since I do the youth, I thought that I would use a visual uh, illustration that I used in the youth group a few weeks ago to help us. I'll use this later on in the message, but to help us to understand what we're talking about. So I've asked three people uh, to come up here and help me. George Williamson and Judy, and then I asked a a guest to come up here also uh, who's visiting with us today. Matt, did you take the the mic? Oh, George, okay. All right, so what we're going to do is you guys are going to stand right here, and they're going to look into this box right here. And what they're going to do is they are going to tell the rest of us what's in this box. Now, here's the catch. 
one or two or three of these people are lying. Okay? And one or two or three of these people are telling the truth. It is your duty to figure out who is deceiving. Okay? You guys understand? All right, so we're going to start, and we'll let everybody look into the box to see what's in there. You see what's in there? All right, uh, is this on? George, what's in there? can of Sprite. A can of Sprite. Are you telling the truth? Wow. I knew I shouldn't have picked him. Uh, uh, Judy, what do you say it is? 7-Up. 7-Up. A can of 7-Up. Okay. Are you lying? Okay. Uh, Ma'am, what's your name? Judy. And your last name? Nysong. Judy Nysong. Oh, this is my mom. So... My mom and my dad came down to support me this morning. So, uh, uh, mom, Mrs. Nysong, uh, what was in there? Root beer. Root beer. Okay. Are you telling the truth? Mom, are you telling the truth? How did I teach you? Okay. (laughs) All right. I shouldn't have done that, should I? Okay. Tell me, uh, how many of you think that George Williamson is telling the truth? Raise your hand. That it is a can of Sprite. Raise your hand. Okay. Uh, how many of you think that uh, my mother, my mom, is lying? You think she's lying? All right. We're done. Let's pray. Uh, how many of you guys think that she is telling the truth, that it is a can of root beer? That's a good, good. All right, and how many of you think that Judy is telling the truth that it was, what, 7-Up? Okay. It's divided, isn't it? Okay, so we know that everyone cannot be telling the truth, can we? Um, how many of you think they're all lying? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you would stand on your conviction that you know that they're lying. How many of you would stand up and say, I will die for this. I trust George Williamson. (laughs) How many of you would say that? I trust George Williamson. Nobody? Okay. All right. Well, the only way that we can know, that you can know for sure who was telling the truth is what? To look into the box, right? That is the only way. George is telling the truth. All right, you guys can be seated. Thank these guys. All right. Well, I love deceiving people. If you're visiting today, um, what I mean by that is I love to deceive people when we're playing a game like what we just did. Uh, I love also being deceived when it's a game, and, and trying to figure out who is telling the truth. We have played that game on several occasions. I've played that with my kids at home, and it's one of those games that you just want to keep playing so that you can figure out who is telling the truth, and it's fun to do that. It's fun to be deceived unless it comes into the real world, 
And if I think that or know that someone is intentionally trying to deceive me, trying to trick me in order to hurt me or to hurt my family or to hurt my friends, then it is no longer funny, especially when it deals with eternal matters and when it deals with our eternal destinies. And this is exactly what John's readers were dealing with in the passage that we're reading. So this morning, I want to begin by introducing the main idea, followed by three points that I'd like to emphasize within the passage. So the main idea is this. True believers overcome deceivers through the gift of the Holy Spirit and by abiding in the Word of God. True believers overcome deceivers through the gift of the Holy Spirit and by abiding in the Word of God. And my main points are this. Number one, beware of the big, bad wolves. And in order to do this, we need to, number two, remember the Holy Spirit, and number three, abide in the gospel. Now, if you look at your Bibles in verse 18, John begins with children. It is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. What does John mean when he says it is the last hour? Well, if you'll just jump up to verse 17, that's right before our passage, John is talking about not loving the world, that we should not love the world if we are Christians. And the reason, one of the reasons that he says that we should not love the world is because it is, what? Passing away along with its desires. You see that? The world is passing away along with its desires. If you jump back up to verse 8, halfway through the verse, John says, the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So John is saying that the world and its desires are passing away, with its, uh, with its desires are passing away, and that the darkness is also passing away. And then in verse 28, which is the verse following our passage, I'm just going to paraphrase this, but John says you need to make sure you're abiding in, in Jesus so that, that you're not ashamed when he returns. Verse 28 says Jesus is about to return. So, when we say that it is the last hour, what we're saying is, is that this world that we know is fading away, it's passing away, and the, the true light is shining. Jesus is about to come back. And when Jesus comes back, the last hour will be totally over. But we are living in the last hour. And John goes on to say in verse 18 that we know that we're in the last hour because many antichrists have come. Now, an antichrist is anyone who denies the teaching, person, and work of Jesus Christ and the Father. Antichrists add to or take away from who Jesus is. And when you do this, when you add to or take away from Jesus, you no longer have Jesus. You're left with a counterfeit. It's kind of like your phone number. If you take your phone number and change one digit in that phone number, it is no longer your phone number. So if you add to who Jesus is, or if you take away from who Jesus is, you no longer have the true Jesus. Obvious modern-day antichrists would be uh, groups like the Jehovah Witnesses, 
Mormons, and Muslims. Now, the Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons, they say that they are Christians and that they believe in Jesus. So why are they considered to be antichrist? Well, it's because not everyone who says they believe in Jesus means what we mean. And John, in, in uh, 1 John chapter 4, John says that we must test the spirits to see if they are indeed from God. So, as we test the Jehovah Witnesses, they say that Jesus is not God. They take away from Jesus when Scripture clearly teaches that he is. Mormons teach that God was once a man like we are, and that we all can become gods like him. Scripture clearly teaches that God is eternal, that he was not created, and that there is only one true God, and that is not us. Now, as far as Muslims, Muslims claim that Jesus did not die on the cross. They, they take scriptures and twist it really bad and actually say that Judas Iscariot took his place on the cross and that Jesus just ascended into heaven. Now, if that is true, and it is not, but if that were true, that means that our sins were never paid for. And that is a huge attack on the Word of God. And so those are, for most of us, those are clear examples of Antichrist, and most of us are not going to go and join those groups But many times, antichrists are not so easily distinguished. Antichrists don't typically jump into a red suit and put horns on their head and and have a tail and a pitchfork and just go around poking people. That's not typically, well, I've never seen an antichrist do that, but they're not typically that easy to distinguish. No, false teachers are smooth masters of deception and and can be extremely convincing. Jesus says that they often look innocent on the outside. They are dressed in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. The Apostle Paul also describes them like this. They are fierce wolves, fierce wolves who will arise from amongst the church and speak twisted things. They will take the word of God and twist it. And here's why. Here's why Paul says that they're going to do that. To draw away the disciples after themselves. That is the purpose of an antichrist, is to draw disciples away from Jesus to follow them. And this should be alarming news for us. Jesus said, beware of false teachers so that you're not led away and led astray by them. And we need to remember that we are living in a world, in a culture that is anti-Jesus and anti-God. And if we're not careful, we may allow ourselves to be lulled asleep and we'll become ineffective and in the worst case scenario, be led away. But the early church was not ineffective. The early church was not asleep. They were awake. And in verse 19, John gives us a description that they went out from amongst the church. So it looks like false teachers came within the church and tried to teach false doctrine to the true believers. Well, the true believers identified it and said, no, that is not true. 
and they stood up against falsehood. Therefore, the false teachers did what? They left. John says that they left. And John, I, I feel like John, if, if he didn't, it, it doesn't say this in 1 John, but I feel like if, if he was, could keep talking, elaborating on what he said, I think he would say, you guys are the real deal. You know you're the real deal because you stood against falsehood and they left. If they had been the real deal, they would have stayed here. But they're not. They left. And that is huge. Church, that is huge to be able to identify lies and then to correctly, and I emphasize correctly, to be able to correctly stand against falsehood is, a, is, a, no, is no small thing. Now, when John wrote this, it was 2,000 years ago when he wrote this. He said, many antichrists have come. If there were many false teachers back then, how much more so today? So I think one of the questions that we need to be asking ourselves as believers is, how can we today be like the church of John's and be able to identify and resist counterfeit teachers? How do we protect our church and ourselves from deception? Well, God has given us two ways with which to do this. The first is through the Holy Spirit. Let's look at verse 20. John says, But you have been anointed by the Holy One. You have been anointed by the Holy One. John is reminding us that true believers are able to discern and overcome false teachers because they have been anointed by God. Now, when John says, you have been anointed, he's not talking about some New Age type of mystical anointing, but rather he's speaking of the gift of the Holy Spirit that every believer receives at conversion. The reason that I believe that he's talking about the Holy Spirit here, even though he doesn't say the Holy Spirit, is because in John um, chapter 14 and 15, Jesus describes the Holy Spirit, the Helper, similarly to how John describes him in this passage. So I want to look at what John says about this anointing, about the Holy Spirit. Still in verse 20, um, we're going to... There was a fly. Um, (laughs) The anointing. Um, There... (laughs) I'm going to substitute the word Holy Spirit for wherever it says anointing or anointed, okay? So as we're reading the passage, that's how I'm going to read it, okay? In verse 20, but you have been given the Holy Spirit by the Holy One or by God. So you've been given the Holy Spirit by God, and you all have knowledge. So we see that the Holy Spirit, number one, gives us knowledge. Jump down to verse 27, where John keeps talking. He says, but the Holy Spirit that you received from him abides in you. So we see that the Holy Spirit is inside of the believer, abiding, dwelling, remaining. That's what abide means, to dwell within, inside the believer. He's not leaving. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as the Holy Spirit teaches you about everything, so the Holy Spirit teaches the believer about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as he has taught you, abide in him. 
So we see three things that the Holy Spirit does um, as he is helping us to discern between truth. Number one is that the Holy Spirit abides in us. Number two, the Holy Spirit gives us knowledge. And number three, the Holy Spirit teaches us all things, enabling us to discern lies from the truth. Three things. He abides in us, gives knowledge, and he teaches. Parents, have you ever wished that you could abide in your kid's head? (laughs) If I could just get in there, I could help them make wise decisions. I've thought that many times, and sometimes I think my kids are thinking that about me. But, you know, when I really think about it, why would I want to get in my kid's head when I have my own things I'm trying to deal with? Especially when we've been given someone infinitely greater than ourselves who knows all things and is infinitely wise. We as believers have what the world does not have. Not because we are better than them or smarter than them, but because they will not receive the spirit of truth. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. So here's how it works. When a lie comes to us and we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, the Holy Spirit is speaking to the believer, no, that is a lie. Do not let that in. Or when someone comes as trying to present a false Jesus, no, that is not Jesus. Do not let that in. Or if someone comes bringing truth, he bears witness that is truth. Let it come in. In other words, we need to realize that we are not able to stand against or identify falsehood because of who we are. It is the Holy Spirit in us. It is Christ in us teaching us and protecting us. And that should be a powerful reminder for us as a church. God has not left us alone. He's not left us, left us alone. He didn't save us and say, see you at the finish line. Hope you make it. No, he has given us the Holy Spirit to live within us. So God safeguards us from deception through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And his second safeguard is found in verse 24. Verse 24. So let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. First thing I want to point out is that John is giving a command here. He's saying, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Let it stay in you. Let what you heard from the beginning So the question that comes to my mind is, what did they hear from the beginning that John is wanting them to keep in them? Well, I love how John Stott says it. He says, we must see that it remains in us. I'm sorry. What you heard from the beginning is the gospel, the apostolic teaching, the original message which had been preached. It had not changed and would not change. They must see that it remains in them. It would not do so automatically. They must take steps to ensure 
that it does. I love how Stott says we must see that it remains in us. I love that, that it does not happen automatically. And we need to understand that. Let the gospel abide in you. Let the word of God abide in you. does not mean that you just sit there passively and just let it happen. Kind of like sitting out in the sun, just let the sun give you a suntan. No, that's not what it's talking about. There is a sense of human responsibility in this command. You might say it this way. See to it that what you heard from the beginning remains in you. Kind of like when Jesus says, let your light shine before men. See to it that your light shines before men. In this passage, let means see to it. You let. It's a commandment that, that requires us to respond. See to it that the message the apostles handed down to you remains in you. They handed down the message of the good news of Jesus Christ, which is found in the Word of God. So another way to say it is let the Word of God abide in you. You abide in the Word of God. Let God's Word abide in you. Now I learned a valuable lesson about this, about getting in the Word of God, how important that is as a Christian. Uh, When I was in school back at NC State, I was changing classes, and I was a Christian. And as I was changing classes, there was a preacher, a false teacher, and as I got closer to him, I heard him say, Jesus is not the Messiah, much like they were saying in this passage. Jesus is not the Messiah. And he never claimed to be the Messiah. Something in me rose up in this 19-year-old boy, uh, young man. And I thought I was the man back then. But anyway, where was I? Something rose up in me and said, that is a lie. And so I boldly stood up and said, that is a lie. Jesus is the Messiah, and he claims that he is the Messiah. And you know what the teacher said to me? Where? It's not in here. He was holding the Bible. He said, it's not in here. I said, yes, it is. Where? I had to walk away like a dog with its tail between his legs because I I didn't know. I knew it was there, but is it? And I started thinking, well, maybe it's not. Maybe it's not in there. Maybe I've just been taught something that's not really true. So I went home, back into my room and I looked into the box to see for myself maybe he didn't say that I don't want to be teaching something that's false does he say that church where okay I'm not gonna make you do that but I went back (laughs) I mean really I did not know where it said that and uh, he had me because I couldn't defend the faith I couldn't say yes he does right here and in front of I'd say hundreds of people, he, his point was made. So what I did was I went back and I, I just went through the scriptures and searched. And this was good for me because it taught me to get into the scriptures. And I found that indeed it is found in the scriptures. Not only does the Bible claim that he's the Messiah, but Jesus does in several different places. One time he does it at the uh, well with the lady at the well. And, but the place that he clearly says it 
to me, is in Mark chapter 14, verses 61 and 62. We don't need to turn there this morning unless you just don't believe me. But uh, and go ahead and look there. But it's, the, the high priest is, is questioning Jesus, and he says, tell me, are you the Messiah? He, 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 you know, he clearly says, are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed? And in verse 62, Jesus clearly pro- proclaims, I am. And when I saw that verse, it sealed it in me. Okay, now I've grown in my doctrine, in my knowledge of the scriptures. And that just taught me that I need to, I need to continue to grow, not just so I can go out and prove people wrong. That's, that's not even for that reason. But the, so that I can be grounded in my faith. So God taught me on that day that I need to be diligently growing in doctrine. Because on that day I had been bitten by a wolf and wasn't able to effectively defend the faith. So I, I thought that what I would do is share four practical ways with the church to four practical ways to grow in doctrine that will help us to stand in the truth. Number one is that we need to saturate ourselves in the Word of God. We need to saturate ourselves in the Word of God. We need to be able to come into the box and look into the box for ourselves. We can't trust our pastors alone. We can't trust the most trusting people. Judy Easton. I purposely chose her because she ain't going to lie. And my mama ain't going to lie either. But when it came to knowing the truth, you have to look into it yourself. We do this through reading and through meditation. Now, when we talk about meditation, one of the things I talk to the teens about all the time is being in the Word and not just checking off a box, oh, I did it, but that we would get into the Word and meditate in the Word. Meditation is what I tell the teens, it means to chew the cud, to chew the cud. I am a redneck Asian. I grew up on a small family farm where we had cattle and chickens, and I would sit and watch the cows eat grass. That's how boring my life was. But I would sit there, and I would watch the cows eat the grass. Have you ever, how many of you have ever like, watched a cow eat grass? It's, it's amazing. You know, they sit there, they bite it, they chew it, then they swallow it. Now, a cow has one stomach with three or four chambers in it, and the food goes down. And if you watch a cow, go do this, apply this message, go do this. They will swallow it and just sit there. And then about 30 seconds later, you'll see. That's, it's chewing the cud. What it's doing, it's meditating on the grass. It's getting off. That was not in my notes. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's chewing on the cud. It's getting all the nutrients out of it. And that's how we should be doing with the Word of God, chewing it. I don't know how many times I get into the Word of God and see something new that I've read a million times for the first time. Chewing the cud that gives the Holy Spirit something to throw, you know, to hold on to. The Holy Spirit teaches us through, his, through us meditating. Secondly, uh, why we should saturate ourselves in the Word of God is because of the encouragement it brings to us individually. I don't know how many times in the morning I have woken up 
and just felt like, I do not want to get out of bed. Darkness is like sitting there waiting for me. And just this gloom, and, and I'm, not, I'm not visioned. I don't want to be a dad. I don't want to be a husband. I don't want to work. I don't want to do anything. But I don't know how many times that I have gotten up and sat down with the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. And he takes that word. And I don't know how he does it, but he speaks to me. And he gives me wisdom. Not necessarily specific wisdom, but just wisdom within my heart, which gives me vision to be able to walk with God and to continue with God. Number two, after you have saturated yourself in the word, We need to actively put ourselves under the preaching of the Word of God. We need to actively, we need to be active about that. Now, I gave number one first because we need to first be students of the Word so that we can make sure that what we're being taught is in in accordance with Scripture. Because although Matt and Aaron are two of the most godly men I know and that their intent, I know their intent is to share the Word of God, there may be times that error is being preached. Or taught, not on purpose, but, and we as the church can make sure that we safeguard our pastors. But being actively putting ourselves under the Word of God is another way that we saturate ourselves. Number three, discuss what you're learning in the Word with others. Discuss what you're learning in the Word with others. In our church, the best context to do that is what? Care groups, right? Care groups, getting into fellowship with other people. Um, just as a testimony, I don't know how many times, I'm not, um, I am in a care group right now, but I can remember one time uh, with Adam Bell, uh, two or three years ago, Adam had shared something that God had shown him, and I still remember what he said. He was saying that uh, basically he had a need, and when you have a need, if you need something, go to God and tell him what you need. Hey, Lord, I need $1,000, and then I still remember this. Adam said, but don't tell him how to give it to you. Don't tell God how to give you that $1,000. Just let it be known to God and let him take care of the need. It may not even be through money that he answers your prayer. So just something like that has stuck with me because I went to care group and was in fellowship with other men and women who are in the Word. When you share what God is doing, it helps you to um, correct something that you might be seeing Uh, wrongly and it helps to enforce the things that you are seeing rightly and number four and this is a good one this is this one will help you grow uh, immensely is teach what you're learning to younger christians teach what god is teaching to you to younger christians for example parents teach your children what god is teaching you singles encourage you to help Help teach the younger teenagers who are looking up to you. Help teach them the Word of God. Young couples, invite those who are younger, singles, into your home and open the Word of God. And older couples, invite younger couples in to your home. That looks like the church, doesn't it? We're not segmented. The older are teaching the younger And that's what the church is. We are a church family. So let us be a people who are abiding in the word of God and continuing in the word of God. In closing, I want to say that it is true that we are living in 
a dark world. And at times, at times you may be tempted to just, you know, quit and just give up. Or I'm just going to give in to the, to the rest of this world. And we are living in a world that is trying to convince us that there is no God, that the Bible is irrelevant, and that we should stop sharing the gospel message. They may even say, don't you know that we're living in a new age? This doesn't apply to us anymore. That is the culture that we live in. If you're tempted to give in and walk away from the truth, let, let me remind you this. That we are not living in a new age. We are living in the last hour. And the darkness and the world and its desires are all passing away. The light is already shining. And Jesus is about to return. And remember that God has given us the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to protect and preserve us. And he will have mercy on all. He will have mercy. This is the good news. He will have mercy on all who come to him and put their trust in Jesus. Therefore, let us not be a sluggish people who are dull of hearing, but let us pay closer attention to what we, are, what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Let us encourage one another. Let us encourage one another. Let us encourage one another day after day. Let us encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, that none of us be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Then you too will abide in the Son and the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us. Eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement that comes from your word. We thank you that you are with us. That you have not left us. And that you have given us the gift of the Holy Spirit and your word. Lord, I ask that you would continue to open our eyes to the gift of Jesus and the wonder of who he is. Lord, we ask that you would take the message of the gospel and make it alive in us afresh, Lord. Lord, help us to see to it that the message that we heard from the beginning remains in us. Help us to be excited about that which is truly exciting. Help us to be a people who are longing for your return and that you would find us in you, abiding in you, a people who bears much fruit and brings glory to you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.